Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so we're going to talk about the phenomenon of tongues today. We've talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, the last few weeks. And then last week, uh, we talked about hosting the presence of God upon our lives. So if, if you were here last week, you saw... 25, I believe, doves that were across the countertop or across the stage here. And I got some feedback, not from everybody so far, but from some. And I just wanted to read it. Basically, what the, the challenge was is to host that dove. Host, it was like a stuffed dove uh, to take it around everywhere that they went, really as a, a symbol that the Holy Spirit is with you. So it was supposed to be a reminder that the Holy Spirit's with you, that he's come upon you to empower you. It was also supposed to be a conversation starter uh, for you to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit, the gospel message, and so on. So I won't read any names, but it just said, uh, I'll just read some of these to you here. It says, it certainly was a conversation starter for the five to six patients at work who were brave enough to ask me about it. This person was also surprised that as they wore it on their shoulder, some people didn't ask them about it, which was kind of weird. <laughs> it certainly reminded me of how often I disregard the presence of the Holy Spirit and fall back into normal routines. That's good. Uh, this uh, two young men that um, work together, they do plumbing together. They put it on, their, on the dashboard of their truck asking for the Lord to protect them. And uh, one of them noticed just a few days ago that the gas tank was about to fall off, only being uh, held by broken, rusty clamps. So they're just attributing that to the Lord, leading them uh, to safe travels. Another one said uh, the, the, the dove was their co-pilot in their car. It says, I've always known that the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is present in my life, but this week has been different. Having the stuffed dove as a physical, tangible reminder, constantly seeing it next to me helped uh, put that presence in clear perspective. It says, I did have several opportunities to share the Holy Spirit with others, and I knew uh, when I accepted this, it would be a stretching within me even more than outside of me. Uh, this, another person talked about having trouble falling asleep, a restless mind. They actually put the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit, the dove, <laughs> on top of them in the blanket, and it was a reminder. It's not about the dove. Say, it's not about the dove. It's a physical reminder that Holy Spirit is actually there, right? Sometimes it's just a, uh, something that you grab hold of as a, a, um, a position of faith or a token of faith. And it, uh, that individual said that, that they just spent time thanking their Father for that day, the Heavenly Father. Uh, they went out with some youth, and the Holy Spirit joined them to the escape room. So now one of the doves have been in one of the escape rooms. It says, our host was very curious, asked me why I had a bird, <laughs> a bird with me, which that would look weird. Uh, I explained it represented what we were doing as an exercise. She listened intently, asked a few questions, of course, started a conversation. There's much more on all these. Uh, one day letting the dove rest on my shoulder, it reminded me of the actions that I wanted to be seen that in Jesus in my life, having peace in a stressful situation, speaking calmly and gently instead of my tone and anger. Pretty good, huh? It says, wow, what a week. Uh, from right after church at a restaurant, getting to share uh, why I had the dove uh, to the beauty shop. This person had a privilege of sharing, praying with a woman who had lost her father three weeks ago and found out she has a brain tumor. So they got to, she had to minister because of a conversation that opened up because of a dove or because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, another one wrote uh, later on in the message here, I believe this experience with the, the Holy Spirit dove is teaching me that my power comes when I rest. They were talking about just kind of trying too hard at times. When I rest and I wait on the Holy Spirit, my job is to be willing to be used by him and let him do the work. 
Somebody else said, I realize I'm passionate about him, but I don't talk to him as nearly as much as I talk to other, other people about other things that I'm passionate about. So having the presence of that, that dove there made that person realize, I do love Holy Spirit. I just don't talk, talk about him as much as I should, as much as I talk about other things. At work, she was able to discuss the dove in practical terms, realizing the influence that this individual actually uh, has at work. It says, on Sunday after church, I went to see my aunt who suffers from anxiety, does not like to be alone. Her husband passed away recently. I was able to illustrate to her uh, through the dove, we are never alone. And, uh, and I had the boldness to speak the promises of God to her. I believe she was comforted and encouraged by the time that I left. I believe this is the last one for right now. Another individual was able to go to her granddaughter's birthday party right after church. Uh, She was wearing the dove around the neck, which again, would look weird to some people. Um, It says uh, that she was able to talk to the granddaughter, but she says, as they were getting ready to to leave, my ex-son's wife offered to help me carry a couple of chairs out. But this was just her way to get me alone so she could ask about this dove. So it actually opened the door for this lady to talk to her about the story of King Jesus being baptized and how the dove landed upon Jesus and how the Holy Spirit never leaves us. Then it said uh, they went to Bob Evans. Uh, A guy stopped and asked why they have the dove and they got the same exact story. This lady was at Busy Beaver later on in the week. A guy kept looking at her, looked away, looking at her. After he checked out, he says, I have to ask you, why do you have that thing around your neck? And she said he got the same story as everybody else did, the story of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So these are, these are regular folks like me and you, right? Just using a point of contact for their faith to truly believe that the presence of God is upon them, with them, in them, and being willing to be used by them. You could do this too, right? Every single day, just being willing to be used uh, by the Holy Spirit to touch people's lives. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to take a look at a few verses in Acts, and then the majority of the time we're going to camp out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, a little bit in 12, but mostly 14. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translations, but if you have uh, another translation that you like, you can cross-reference some things. They'll be on the screen, but if you turn uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, that's where we'll be most of the time. So when we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, this unique Pentecostal experience that we see throughout the book of Acts, it's not just because Central Assembly of God is an Assemblies of God church or a Pentecostal church. We believe we're a full gospel church, which means we believe what's written in the gospels, what's written in the New Testament, Old Testament, everything together. So when we follow the pattern of the early church, we saw that people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. But there's this, this, uh, this other phenomenon that I call it because it creates questions called tongues. Now, tongues comes from a Greek word, glossolalia, which means it's an utterance, an utterance coming out of your mouth, a verbal utterance that has the form of a language, but it requires an inspired interpreter for understanding of the content. You'll see uh, in times if it's a, if it's a public uh, gift used in a service or whether it's a private prayer language, it's a vocal praise to the Lord. It's not speaking to other people. It's adoration. It's speaking of God's wonders. So what I did... Um, this is now like 12 weeks ago, we took a survey from you and we got several hundred responses back. 
And the majority of the questions, by far, the, the, the majority of them were on this topic of tongues. I think it creates some confusion at times when people have questions about it. So what I did, I took probably 40 or 50 questions that were on there. I combined the ones that had uh, similar topics to them. And I'm gonna just attempt to answer them through God's word in a very practical way today. Uh, some of the questions revolved around this. I don't feel that I need to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit in me. Am I wrong to feel the way this way or is the Holy Spirit really not in me? Now, I think we addressed this a few weeks back. I just wanna remind you in case you weren't here. The moment you are born again, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes to live in you. So you're not speaking words to earn some, some experience, if this makes sense to you. The moment you, you receive salvation, the moment you surrender your life to Jesus, the moment you're born again, I'm using all the terminologies you can use. It's all the same thing. You're coming into God's kingdom. You now become a child of God. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You automatically get and you receive the Holy Spirit in you. Two different occasions, it talks about being a down payment, guaranteeing what is to come or a deposit, some of your translations might say, about what is yet to come. So you're not speaking in tongues to receive the Holy Spirit. Every child of God has the Holy Spirit in them, guaranteeing that they have eternal life, that they'll be with their Father forever. Now within this, the aspect of tongues, this is where some of the confusion comes in. Well, then what, what does it mean when you're speaking in tongues? And what, you know, what experiences do you have? So I'm gonna show you just a brief illustration then we're gonna unpack uh, scriptures for this. So I'm just gonna use some volunteers. I don't know I'm gonna use them yet. Eric, I'll just have you come up so I don't embarrass you or anybody else. All right, so just stand right here. Hold that up, but face here because you're at the altar praying to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, here we go. All right, so let's say Eric, he's been a believer, we'll just say for three years. He already has the Holy Spirit in him. And he comes forward to the altar. How many of you know this doesn't have, have to happen at an altar, okay? Let's say he just comes forward. Uh, he's been praying at home and we call people forward to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna get into that. We've talked about it over two weeks. It's a subsequent experience for the purpose of power, empowered speech to be an effective witness. That's why after Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, they had the Holy Spirit in them. And then he says, but don't leave Jerusalem until you're endued with power when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay? So Eric comes up, uh, he's seeking Jesus. He's not seeking an experience, but he's seeking Jesus. And out of that, Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit upon him. And the evidence that he's received this baptism in the Holy Spirit, it's a confirming sign, is he will speak in other tongues. Or a lot of your translations might say other languages. You might even get freaked out when you hear the word tongues. Like, what does that mean? That can be translated unknown languages or other languages languages, okay? So this is one function of tongues. It's a confirming sign that you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's say he comes up and he seeks Jesus and he doesn't receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Is he still going to heaven? Absolutely. Does he need to leave feeling guilt or shamed? Absolutely not. He just keeps seeking Jesus. This is all about Jesus pouring himself out. But he did receive, so he has a confirming sign. All right, Isabella, oh, you know what? You have Isaac, why don't you come up here? You, my Isaac. I'm just trying not to like embarrass people. Okay, so let's say Isaac has been baptized in the Holy Spirit already, but it didn't happen at an altar. Maybe it happened in his bedroom. He's just seeking Jesus. He has some music on. He's baptized in the Holy Spirit. So he has the confirming sign. That's one function. There's another function which comes in personal prayer. So go on your knees like this, like a good boy praying. Okay, all right, so just hold that up. 
This is another function. It's called your personal prayer language. Paul talks about praying in the spirit. Again, I'll attach it all to the Bible. In just a few minutes, I'm just trying to show you some three basic functions so that a lot less confusion uh, can be seen here. So Isaac would have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a confirming sign. But because he has been baptized, because he's had that confirming sign, he is now qualified to pray in tongues, to pray in other languages, to pray in the spirit anytime he wants to. Does this make sense? This isn't like you're not waiting for the on-off switch. I'm gonna wait for the goosebumps again. I'm gonna wait for the cloud to descend. No, he's had the confirming sign and that qualifies him, okay? So any of you that have been filled with the spirit, Paul's saying this can be used as a private prayer language. Your arm's okay, buddy? All right, Eric's doing all right. <laughs> That's good. Okay, Tim, oh, you know what? No, stay here, I'm gonna go all the way back here. All right, Tyler, I'll just ask you to hold this up. You don't even have to get up. All right, so this says public gift. What this means is at some point, Tyler was baptized with the Holy Spirit. So there was a confirming sign of tongues. It's just an enablement and empowering of your speech. It doesn't have to be mystical or anything like that. It's, just an, it's an empowerment of your speech. So then Tyler can pray in the Spirit when he wants to, to build himself up, which we'll look about. Now, Tyler has what we would call, I don't know that Tyler actually has this, but Tyler could have what's called a public gift or a vocal gift of speaking in tongues, this tongue here has to be interpreted by someone else or it sounds like foolishness to everybody else around him. So now let's follow this backwards now. Not everybody that has experienced the baptism in the Holy Spirit will have this public gift. Does this make sense? Only a few, I believe only, maybe, I don't even wanna justify. Not, I'll just say not everybody in a church body has the gift of speaking in other tongues with the necessity of it being interpreted in a language that we understand. Paul says if we all showed up in a public setting and started speaking in other tongues, people would think we were crazy. So he says, if this gift, if it's a public gift, just like some of you are gifted in hospitality, some of you are gifted in leadership, teaching, giving, the working of miracles, you, prophecy, words of knowledge, all those things. This is just one gift. Not everybody is going to have this gift, but everybody that has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit absolutely has it available to them to pray in the Spirit for the building up of their own personal self. Give these guys a round of applause. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. All right, so I'm gonna kind of pick apart some of these things here. A little bit more clinical today. I just wanna get this straight. I, I, I believe that the right theology will relax some of our uh, nervousness about either, either receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just good theology is gonna be able to lead us into personal encounters with the Lord. So the, the aspect of Eric receiving it, I'm gonna talk about five purposes of tongues today. Uh, these are not, this is by no, no means everything. It's just what we have uh, from the Lord for today. So the first purpose, speaking in tongues, is a confir confirming sign or a confirmation of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, okay? So I wanna just go over three verses. We've already went over these verses. I just wanna camp out just very briefly on them. The first is Acts chapter two, verse four. It's the very first time we see the Holy Spirit poured out by Jesus. It's when the church was birthed. It was on the day of Pentecost. In verse four, it says, everyone present 
was filled with the Holy Spirit. These weren't just the Sunday school teachers. These weren't just the ones who gave the most. These weren't the most committed. It was all. It said about 120 were present. It says everyone there was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues or other languages. You even see here in this instance, it's the same. Every time you see that, that were languages in this context, or tongues, it's that same glossolalia word. Uh, there's just different translations use different words to describe it. So it says they spoke in other languages or other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them or gave them that ability. We're gonna come back uh, in just a little bit about this verse, but we know the Holy Spirit was poured out by Jesus. There was a confirming sign of that in speaking in other languages or tongues. Now in Acts chapter 10, this is when Peter was preaching now. So he's preaching into a courtyard uh, where Cornelius was. These are non-Jewish believers. So they they weren't raised uh, in the faith by any means. And it says the Jewish believers who came with Peter, so Peter's preaching and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, it says. And the Jewish believers that came with Peter, like they're like his entourage, it says that they were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the Gentiles. Remember that gift of the Holy Spirit. As soon as they believe the message, they are born again and they have the Spirit in them. But Peter and his friends, they were amazed that this this gift was poured out onto the Gentiles in the same way that they received it. So there was a confirming sign that these Jewish believers saw and heard that made them believe that these Gentiles received this baptism in the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 46, they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. So this house was filled with new believers during a sermon. The gift of the Holy Spirit's poured out and they hear them speaking in other tongues. It happens again in Acts chapter 19. Now Paul's traveling through different areas and he comes and he finds believers. I'm not gonna unpack you know, the, the entire story again, but what he's basically, he asks if they received the Holy Spirit. They're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. He's like, How'd you get baptized? He said, John the Baptist. So they confirmed their salvation by being water baptized in the name of Jesus. Then he lays his hands on them. It says, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So the Holy Spirit was already in them. They already believed. But when the Holy Spirit came on them, it says that they spoke in other tongues and they prophesied. Now there were about 12 uh, of them in all. So in these three instances, we see the confirmation, the confirming sign of people being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in other tongues. In another occasion, it says praising God. In another one in Acts chapter 19, it says that they were speaking in tongues and prophesying. What I like to look at is tongues as like an x-ray. So if you broke your arm, you'd be in a lot of pain, right? And they would take you in and they would give you an x-ray and you would have an external uh, symbol or sign saying that something happened on the, out, on the inside. Better yet is, as your body kept feeling better and better and better, you'd, you'd be thinking, okay, I think it's all healed up. But what does the doctor do? He takes another x-ray. So that x-ray, it's an external confirming sign outside of your body that something inside of your body has happened. Something has happened. So, you know, you might be saying, I feel good, I feel good, I feel pretty good. But when you see that external sign, that x-ray, he says, your bone is completely healed. You're probably like, yes, I knew I felt good. I knew something was good in there. 
So that, that's what this is, that external uh, speaking in other tongues. It's just an empowerment of your tongue. It's a surrendering of your tongue to be an effective witness for Jesus in your own known language. It's like an x-ray outside of your body that something inside has happened through the filling of your Holy Spirit. Now, I've looked at these different occasions when people were baptized in the Holy Spirit before. I'm like, okay, well, Acts chapter four, it doesn't say that they spoke in other tongues. So they were baptized. But if you study it out, you'll realize in Acts chapter four, the people who Peter and John came to be with were most likely the same ones that they were with in the upper room, which means they were already baptized for the first time with a confirming sign. Luke would have no reason to write it again in there because those people had already had that sign. And then in Acts chapter eight, it does not say that they spoke in other tongues. However, uh, the thing that would lead me to believe that something happened, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There was Simon, he was a sorcerer. Say sorcerer. Yeah, so he's an ex-magician. He gets born again. He's following the apostles around and uh, they, the apostles lay their hands on believers. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit came upon them. In Acts chapter eight, verse 18, it says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, so he had to see or hear something happen when the apostles laid their hands on the people. He says he offered them money to buy this power. So this ex-sorcerer says, let me have this power too so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. So I personally, my own personal thought is that, that they weren't just standing there and they laid their hands and they're like, okay, you've received it, okay. I don't think a sorcerer would offer money for that. I think something supernatural uh, happened to want him to have that. All right, so another question says this, is speaking in tongues the only evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? What I believe the Bible teaches is that tongues is simply the initial evidence. It's a confirming sign. But the evidence that we want to have walking every day after receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit is power. It's empowered speech. It's boldness to talk. It's going without, without the stuffed dove and still talking about Jesus. That's what I believe like the ongoing evidence uh, should be. You guys all right? All right. Another uh, person asked, can you be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? I've had this question many times and even in personal uh, conversations, this, this question came a couple of different ways. And I always ask people, are you asking that question because you're nervous about tongues and just don't understand? Or are you asking that question because you're leading a lot of people to Jesus and operating in power and just haven't spoken in tongues? This side here is we'll try to justify not doing it because our own personal experience doesn't match the word. This over here will just allow us to seek Jesus more and more. So my responsibility is to not put God in a box. God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, okay? So I'm sure he's able to do things that are outside of scriptural context. My responsibility to you is to search scripture, find what is in scripture, and then teach that. Are you with me? feel like it's very quiet in here. I know this is a difficult subject for some of you. Like, I think that is your responsibility, yes. <laughs> so I'm not looking for a formula. I'm not trying to set this up as a formula. What we see is a pattern in scripture, right? So just like uh, Jesus, he healed everybody that came to him, yet he didn't create a formula out of it where you have to do it this way and this way. So one time there was a rushing wind. Another time the building shook. Another time 
A few apostles laid their hands on them. Another time, Paul laid their hands on them. There's a lot of different ways that it happened, though there is a pattern of speaking in other tongues and praising God, prophesying, and then a demonstration of an effective witness following that experience. Can you say amen? amen. I just need a little bit of feedback today. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. Second purpose that I'm gonna talk about today is tongues is intended to edify us and build us up individually, all right? So it's not just the public gift that Tyler was holding and it's not just the confirming sign that Eric was holding, but it is to be used. In fact, I'll, I'll combine the, the second purpose and the third purpose. Not just, it's intended to edify us and that third purpose is that it is a private prayer language that is understood by God. So I'm gonna read a few verses uh, out here. From 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul's teaching on tongues and prophecy. And he switches back and forth quite often. I'll start at verse one. The screen might start at verse two. It says, let your love be the highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God. You following this? So when you speak in tongues, whether it's a confirming sign or prayer or as a vocal gift, you're speaking to God. It says, since people won't be able to understand you. Uh, people, some people get stuck on that. Like, and, I, and I did early on too. It's like, why in the world would God use this gift? I honestly believe it's to humble us. Like we can't do this. We're so, we're, it's a, listen, our tongue, remember it talks about the tongue being the rudder that can lead us to death. This thing gets us in more trouble and we need to be using it to glorify his name. So people would come into the kingdom. It's the hardest thing to surrender. So we might think it's foolishness to men and a lot of things of the Lord are foolishness to men. We're not God, he chose this, we didn't. It says here, um, you will be speaking. It says you will be speaking. So this is when you're speaking in tongues. It says you will be speaking by the power of the spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthen others, encourages others and comforts others. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. He goes on to say, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets. So he's talking here, you're praying in, in tongues or you're speaking in tongues in a service. So, so when you're speaking in tongues in a service, if there's a message in tongues, that must be interpreted by someone that actually speaks the language of that church. Uh, so it goes on to say, unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church may be strengthened. So we see just in these few verses here like, that when you are praying or when you're speaking in tongues, you are strengthened personally, okay? So there's different gifts used for a public setting, but personally, when you are speaking out, when you are praying in tongues, it's an edification and a strengthening of your own self that should be used daily in your prayer life. And I wanna go on in verse 14. We're gonna pop all the way down to 14. I would encourage you to read this chapter yourself several times this week, though, to give you a lot more understanding. Verse 14 says, if I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. How many of you know when you are born again, the, the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates your human spirit, okay? So you're one with him now, you're headed to heaven, okay? You're a child of God. 
but your mind is unrenewed, your body is unrenewed, and your spirit can still be strengthened. So he's saying here, when I'm praying in tongues, my spirit is praying. That's what's getting strengthened. Just like when you pray with your mind or pray with your understanding, your mind gets renewed because you're praying with your own understanding. It says, if I pray with tongues, my spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I'm saying. This is Paul in your Bible saying this. When he's praying in tongues, his mind is unfruitful. His spirit is what is praying. He says, well, then what should I do? I will pray with, or I will pray in the spirit. So if you hear people say, are you taking time to pray in the spirit? Or I pray in the spirit if I'm in a difficult situation. What they're talking about is praying in tongues. He says, I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray in the words I understand. Your translation might say, I will pray with my mind. So he's saying, I'm going to pray in the spirit and I'm going to pray in the language that I understand. He says, I will sing in the spirit and I will also sing with words I understand. For if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How then can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So when you're praying in the spirit, you see that lowercase s. The Holy Spirit is praying through your human spirit in languages that are unknown to you and unknown to the people around them. But it is meant to be a regular part of your prayer, your adoration. Paul even says, you will be thanking God in your spiritual language. I look at this as almost like a spiritual recharging. Like, you know, uh, uh, everything that's battery operated now, that gets drained after a time when, there's, when, there, when it's being used and there's force being put on it. So what has to happen is you attach it back to its power source. That's what I look like. That's what, how I look upon praying in the spirit. It's a spiritual recharging, not just of your mind, but of your spirit itself. So you pray in English, you pray in the spirit. You say amen? amen. Just looking for some feedback. Some other areas too, when you're praying in the spirit, it keeps you aware of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. Because you can get caught up in your own prayer list, you can get caught up in your own agenda when you spend time with the Lord. But when you're praying in tongues, praying in the spirit, it keeps you tuned into him and the presence of God upon your life. I've already said it before, it keeps you humble. It keeps you focused on God in your prayer life. So you're not saying, listen, okay, I have all these things to do and I have all these things to accomplish. I've seen it many times in my life if there's a difficult situation, a stressful situation, or simply an answer that I need, all right? My wife and I are parents of four children. So there are answers that we need to help guide them. Uh, in the church, there are answers that I need. I don't know the answer. I'm coming to the Father. And for me to just say, God, what should I do? And I could sit there for a long time and not hear anything. So what I've come into a practice of doing is praying in the spirit. So my spirit is praying. In fact, in, in Romans chapter eight, it says this in verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. How many of you want help in your weaknesses? So we should probably look at what in the world Paul's talking about to receive this help. He says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. How? It says, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So we're seeking God. We're searching God. There are tons, thousands, millions of answers that we need in life. 
And we don't always know how to pray and we don't always know what the answer is. But Paul's saying here, listen, the Holy Spirit's gonna help us in this time of weakness. The Holy Spirit's gonna pray through us, pray for us through our spirit in groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And it says, the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. So even in, even in a worship service like this, we're a Spirit-filled church. So there might be somebody praying in the Spirit or, or, just, uh, or singing in the Spirit. Trust me, if it's not loud enough to be heard by a lot of other people, that's just their prayer language. I've had people ask me, I say, well, well, this person's standing here and they're praying in the Spirit in a public service. Why isn't that being interpreted? That's because they're, like, they're in their own little zone here. They're just praying to the Lord in the Spirit. But it says here that, that, that God knows what is being said. He knows what the Spirit's saying. It says, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, this is amazing here because, you know, a lot of times we say, what is God's will in this situation? So we've taught you before, right? Pray, ask God simple yes and no questions as you're getting used to hearing his voice and being led by the Lord. Journal, write things down as you're reading God's word and things that pop out. But sometimes if you're confused, you don't know where to go and you begin to pray in the spirit, there'll be what some people call like a release or a peace in your heart that you know you've prayed through, you now have understanding in your mind what God wants you to do. Because it says, as the Holy Spirit is praying for us, with groanings that cannot be expressed in words, those groanings are in harmony with God's own will. So I used to uh, have a journal with like tons of, of prayer requests. And they would just, you know, they would keep adding up and adding up and adding up. And I still keep them. It's in a different format now. But if you want to make sure your prayer list is complete, is maybe step outside of your known language for a while, if you're spirit filled, and just begin to pray in the spirit. And see as the Lord reveals things to you. You all right? Another question that came in, it says, is speaking in tongues a gift that everyone should receive? Or is it a gift that God reserves for specific believers? All right? So the fourth purpose that I want to talk about is that it is, speaking in tongues is a public vocal gift when it's used publicly, it's to edify and build up the church in corporate worship. It does not have to happen in a service just like this. It can happen in a small group of five, six people. It can happen in you know, a prayer meeting or whatever. But this is, again, it's different from what Eric was. It's different from what Isaac was. Now, this is an actual spirit, not just the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured on you. This is an actual spiritual gift that not everyone has in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just two chapters back, Paul starts to talk about and teach on spiritual gifts. I'm not going to read all the verses, but in verse 7, it says this, a spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. It's a New Living Translation, pretty plain English. In verse 10, I'll just skip a few verses for time. It says, he gives one person the power to perform miracles, another the ability to prophesy, he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from God, uh, from the Spirit of God or from another spirit, which your translation would probably say discerning of spirits. So still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages. This is not known by man, right? Which means it's, it's foreign to them. While another one is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It says, uh, it is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts, he alone decides which 
uh, gift each person should have. If you go to 1 Corinthians, back to verse 13, uh, in chapter 14, verse 13, it says, anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. So what's happening here is this. Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12 and then in 1 Corinthians 14, we'll just pick on Tyler. Let's say Tyler has the gift in speaking in another tongue. The way that it functioned normally in the church is that he would speak in an unknown tongue. Now the question is asked, is that always understood by that actual native like language? Should that be an actual language that is understood by somebody else? There's no evidence that it is. There's only one evidence in Acts chapter two. The rest of the time, there's no evidence that it's understood in their native language. If it was, Tyler would understand what message he's already speaking because it says that he should also pray for the interpretation. Does Does this make sense? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he's breaking it out of two different spiritual gifts. One speaking a message in tongues, another to interpret but then in Acts chapter, or I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that the one who speaks in another tongue should pray that he or she would have that interpretation, the message uh, to give. Okay, so now let's find out why in the world Paul's even talking about this. What does this do for the church body in, in uh, verse 22? It says, you see <clears throat> that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for the believer, but for unbelievers. This is Paul saying this. We would think like, wow, speaking in tongues, I don't know, that's a little aggressive in the faith. Paul, the way that it's set up is that this is actually to be a sign for unbelievers. It says prophecy, however, is for the benefit of believers, not unbelievers. Now listen to what Paul says here. It says, even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and here's everyone speaking in an unknown language, they will think you are crazy. But if all are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring God is truly among here or among you. The reason why speaking in tongues with interpretation in a public service is to be a sign to unbelievers. It is to be a sign and a wonder that God is actually here, that it can be done in a loving way that actually confirms, wow, these people really mean what they're doing. They're worshiping the one true God. However, if people are speaking out and like, you know, speaking loud enough for many people to hear around you, then they think we are crazy. Can you say amen to that? In verse 26, it says, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach. This is how they, they they used to do church this way, right? Hey, brother, I'm gonna bring my tambourine this week. You're gonna bring the word of prophecy. I mean, it wasn't like this stage and everybody was prepared and this, they, they came together as a church family. This is how our small groups should be operating as well. We want the gifts of the spirit to be fluid in there. Small groups are just as good as an expression of the church as this large meeting is. It says, another will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said. But everything must be done, uh, everything is done, must strengthen all of you. So if someone's praying in the spirit by themselves, they are being built up personally 
If someone speaks a message in tongues and is interpreted publicly, then the church is strengthened. So it goes on to say in verse 27, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. I believe that this was culturally, there was a, there was a lot of abuse in spiritual gifts back then. Uh, so he's like putting some guidelines and parameters uh, on that. He says, uh, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. Then uh, they must speak one at a time and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret, they must remain silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately as a spiritual gift or as that, that spiritual uh, discipline of praying in tongues. Someone also asked, why do we not have tongues and interpretation in our services? I started to pray about that. And I do think it might just be at the practical change that we made, even while I was still an associate pastor, as we began to have people that had prophetic words to come, to come forward, uh, just to talk to one of the pastors that were down here. And it's for the most practical sense of this. If the church cannot hear what is being spoken, then they are not being edified. Say amen to that, please. Does that make sense? I, I, I was in church services, um, you know, when, when I was older, whenever um, people could just speak out, what we would say spontaneously, and they would just call out and so on. Until you started finding out that nobody in this, like, the entire back, like, eight rows could hear anything that they've said. So we might say, well, it's not as spontaneous as it used to be, and now we're coming up and on a microphone and so on. Listen, it helps us pastor the moment well. It helps us affirm what you're saying is for today. It helps put you on a microphone so people can hear it. It helps us follow up with it. We can pastor that moment by calling people forward, by reading scripture about it and so on. So I do believe that in that season when we started having people come on the microphone and people may have thought like, what do I do with tongues? I do not believe every single person in this room has to hear you speaking in another tongue. But if you feel like that message in tongues is from the Lord for the church body, not just your small group, not just yourself. If you actually feel like it's an unction for the entire body, what we, what we ask is that you're a member in good standing and we trust that you're being led by the Holy Spirit. If that's called out, then we're trusting someone else in this church family has the interpretation. What message that we would understand to bring glory to God. That can be given over the microphone. Does that make sense? Church member in good standing, you have that strong sense and that urge that, that there's a message in tongues. You can go ahead and call that out. But I would ask if you have the interpretation that you come forth so people can hear you. You just simply won't be built up if you don't hear it. The last point I wanna make is this, is that uh, it is a real language. Speaking in tongues is a real language, whether it's an earthly language or a heavenly language. I like this one question, Diana, you can come up at this time. This one individual wrote in, it says, at Pentecost, the speaking of tongues was understood by many in their own languages, which is true. It says, however, in this age of speaking in tongues uh, is, is in a language not understood by anyone. How can you justify what happened at Pentecost is equal to the tongues being spoken in the church today? So I just wanna take a look at a couple of those verses. In Acts chapter two, verse seven, it says they were complete, the people that heard the believers speaking in other tongues or languages were amazed. It says, how can this be, they ex exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in their own native language, in our own native languages. It says, here we are, Parth Parthians, Medes, El Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, uh, Cappadocia, and it goes on and on and on and on. 
Now, if you, understand, if, you, if you remember the day of Pentecost, there were hundreds upon hundreds of different dialects and languages that would have been present. Thousands of people joined from different regions to be in Jerusalem. And yet here we only have 16 languages or regions that are listed here. So there, there, out of those 120, we don't know if there were more, but what we do know is there were 16 languages or regions. No way were they able to be, even if 120 all spoke different ones, every language that was represented there would not have been understood. If you follow this out, there's no evidence in the other times when tongues were being spoken that it was an earthly language. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13:1, if you could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, talking about earthly languages and heavenly languages, it says, but, but didn't, didn't love others, it would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he's saying here, there's languages that are understood by our ear and there's languages that are understood only by God that Paul talks about. When you're praying in the spirit, you're giving a message in tongues, it's understood by the Lord himself. In fact, Paul talks about it, I already read it in verse two of 1 Corinthians 14. It says, you, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. Talking about a godly, heavenly language. In verse 10 of that same chapter, he says, there are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning. Let's stand. One last question that uh, came in in a few different areas said this, says, I believe speaking in tongues empowers us to live a victorious life. But I know Christians who are exceptional and do not speak in tongues. Can you explain? Somebody else says, I've met numerous people who love the Lord, but have never and most likely will never speak in tongues. This is my encouragement to you. You find somebody who's on fire for God. You find somebody who loves Jesus you celebrate them. That's it. You celebrate them. We're not going to allow a theology of tongues to come between believers. What I'm going to do as a pastor, what I would encourage you to do, being a reader of God's word, is study it out. See the benefits. See the confirming sign. See the benefits of praying in the spirit. See the benefits of messages of tongues with interpretation to strengthen not just yourself, but the corporate body. But what we don't wanna do is create a theology based on people's experiences. So if you find people that love Jesus and they, haven't, they, they don't have a prayer language or they've never spoken in tongues, there's absolutely never to be judgment, criticism, or any of that stuff. You celebrate them for who they are in Jesus. And yet you don't change your theology. You don't change what God's word said. It's just like when praying for healing. We see, we pray for a lot of people. And we see a lot of people not healed, but we don't change our theology and say, well, God doesn't want to heal them. Our theology remains the same. God is a healer. God wants people to be well. God wants people to be healed. So if I pray for 100 people and two get healed, my theology isn't going to change because there's 98 people who haven't been touched by God. And are we going to judge them because they're sick? Are we going to tell them there's sin in their life because they're sick? Absolutely not. We celebrate what God's doing in every individual person's life without condemning, without judging, without dividing, yet we hold fast to what God's word says. Amen?
Put your hand on your heart, if you don't mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is so clear that Jesus just came to fill us and pour out his Holy Spirit all throughout the early church. God, I thank you that every person that knows Jesus already has the Holy Spirit within them. I thank you that there's not haves and have nots in this church family. There's just a bunch of folks that are going after Jesus. We want more of you. We want more of you. And we want more of you. So Father, I pray even for people who are confused about tongues, who are nervous about it, who just think it's strange or weird, I pray that you would show them in your word over and over and over again that this is something, this is an experience, this is a spiritual discipline that you have enacted to be an overflowing, ever-flowing river of life coming out of our heart. So Father, I pray that you would flow through us flow through us as we pray in the spirit, flow through us as we pray with our understanding. And God, I pray that you would take us one step closer to being more and more filled with your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that you've given us something that is way beyond our own understanding. And as we simply surrender to you and we allow that confirming sign to be empowered speech that we don't understand so that we can have empowered speech that others do understand when we're a witness for you. And Father, I pray that this week would be another week, even without the stuffed dove. I pray that it'd be an amazing week for each person here that takes a step of faith takes a risk of their faith to share the gospel message, to share about the presence of God upon their life, to share a prayer with somebody. Father, we just ask for that continued empowerment to live holy lives and empowered lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.